Welcome to 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I start the timer, why don't you turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 11. And with 20 minutes on the clock, we continue our study through the story of the Exodus. Continually, God has sent his messengers to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh has rejected them. God has shown his supernatural might, his supremacy over all earthly creatures, and Pharaoh has rejected him. God has sent plagues and justice upon the Egyptians, and they have refused to budge. They get closer. At first they say, no, you can't go and worship your God. And then Moses comes again and says, let my people go. And they say, well, the men can go, but everything else has to stay. And then another plague, another punishment. Moses comes and says, let my people go. And they say, well, the men and the women and the children can go, but you have to leave all your livestock. It gets a little closer each time, but it's not enough. That's just like life, isn't it? How close can you get before you are actually a Christian? How close can you get to God and still not be his? There are plenty of people who go to church, who do religious things, who do spiritual things, they get closer and closer, but they will not confess with their mouth what they believe in their heart, that Jesus is Lord. They won't do it. Oh, I believe in God. Jesus is the Son of God, but is he the Lord of my life? That's a different question. Verse 1, chapter 11, Now Yahweh the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people, the men and the women alike, are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So this is giving us a little bit of a backstory. That even though Pharaoh's heart was hard, there was growing a understanding that Moses spoke for the true God. Moses was just doing what he had said. Let my people go, and if you don't, this will happen. Pharaoh didn't listen. And then whenever Pharaoh would repent, Moses was good as his word, and he would go, and he would pray, and he would ask God to remove the plague, to remove the judgment, and God would. So Moses actually had a favorable opinion, and the neighbors of the people of God had a favorable opinion of him. Now, this gets tricky. Should we expect that our neighbors should have a favorable opinion of us? The answer is complicated. The answer is, if at all possible. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, it says, as much as is possible, live at peace with all people. There are Christians who seem bent, determined, 
to just make everyone not like them. I don't think that's how the people of God should operate. Where at all possible, live at peace with all people. At the same time, I understand that there are going to be people that are not going to like us just because of who we are or what we are doing. We have neighbors of the church who don't like it when the church does stuff. Summer carnival, oh, that noise. Do, do a, an outdoor program, oh, that noise. Let a, let a school operate in our facility, how dare you? There's nothing I can do about that. We won't stop the ministry that God has given us. But that doesn't mean we need to be jerks. That doesn't mean that we can't find a way wherever possible to live at peace with our neighbors. The Lord had given them favor. And they were going to leave the land of Egypt with blessing. The Lord was not only going to deliver them, but he was going to give provision for their travel. They were just to go up and ask their neighbors. Can you imagine doing that? Going and asking your neighbors for their gold. Can I have your treasure? Can I have your PlayStation? Can I have your, your great Aunt Mabel's finest china? But that's what happened. When they left, they left with all of the things that they would need to start a new nation. They left with capital to build. They left with, not, they did not leave empty-handed. They had come into the land, Jacob and his family, about 75 in all. They had come into the land in some prosperity, but it had been stripped from them. It had been taken away through oppression and slavery. And now blessing was returning to them. When slavery ended in America, every freed slave was supposed to get a piece of land and a mule. The idea was, here is the capital that you will need to attempt the American dream, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then what happened was the Jim Crow laws systematically took away that potential from people of color. One of the things that I've read in finding out the situation in Minneapolis is that while police brutality and corruption exists within law enforcement in America, and don't get me wrong, I believe that most police officers in America are good women and men who want to serve their community and want a safe community. But as I've read about what's going on in Minneapolis, if you are a person of color, if you're a black person, if you're Hispanic, and you have a good credit score, and if you have money in the bank for a down payment, and if you have a stable job and, and, a, and great prospects for the future, the chances are you will still be turned down for a loan. And a white person in the same situation or even with maybe not as much going for them has a better chance of getting that loan. That is the kind of injustice that was going on. There was a systematic oppression of the people of Israel. 
over and over again when they've done studies in America and they have without anything other than just the facts. Here's their credit score. Here's their income. Here's their assets. Here's all of the things that you would look at in applying for loans. If somebody has an African sounding name, the chances are that they have a better chance of being denied than approved. If somebody has a more European sounding name, they have a better chance of being approved. So if your name is Mark Johnson and you're black versus your name being uh, Wahid Zakiri or something like that, the, the facts don't matter. Your name statistically affects things. So if your name is, you know, uh, Ahmad Mustafa and you're Egyptian and, and versus your name being, you know, um, Ben Yaqob, that's the kind of, s of thing that was going on. What I'm trying to get across is that when they left Egypt, they needed their one horse and a mule. God's church is not a white church. Our church started among ethnic minorities. Yes, they were white. But German-speaking ethnic minorities, who, by the way, English-speaking Christians didn't want to reach. If you want to read the history of our church and our denomination, it's because there were people that wanted to reach the German-speaking immigrants. And the English-speaking church the Methodists, the Anglicans, they didn't have any interest in reaching these German communities. And our denomination started by people that cared to reach an ethnic minority. Faith on Hill started as most likely at least a bilingual church, German and English. Many of our churches in our denomination started as non-English speaking churches. And I believe that the future of the Protestant church in America is not with the white church. I believe, and, and the statistics back this up, most likely the future of the church is with Spanish-speaking cultures, Spanish-speaking churches. Churches, uh, Eastern European churches, Slavic churches are, are growing. Hispanic churches are growing. White churches are declining. So to understand that God's people, to understand that God's people have gone through oppression in the past should give God's people in this day a heart to see oppression end and to see equality happen. Am I advocating for any one political position? No, that's a policy thing. I don't make comments about policy. I stay out of politics. Should, should we have four-way stops or roundabouts. Well, I like roundabouts, but I'm, that doesn't matter to me. What kind of tax system should we have? We should have one that is as just as possible. Well, I like this, and I like that, and I, I don't want to get into that. But we should have a heart of compassion, knowing that in the past, God's people have been oppressed and have been systematically prejudiced against we should have that same concern in our day. Now, verse 4, Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go through Egypt, and every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, to the firstborn of son of the female slave whose hand is at her, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. 
But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark, nor any person or animal. Then you will know that Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing their heads before me, or sorry, bowing down before me, saying, Go, and all the people who follow you, and after that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Now, understandably, you might be saying, wait a minute, at the end of chapter 10, last week's episode, we saw that Pharaoh said to Moses, I'm never going to see you again, and yet Moses is here talking to Pharaoh. That's because it's the same event. Verse 11, or sorry, chapter 11, verse 1 starts with, now the Lord had said. So Moses went into his audience with the Pharaoh at the end of chapter 10, knowing what was going to happen. He gave the word of the Lord to Moses, or Moses gave the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejected that word and said, you will never see me again. I'm done listening to you. And then there's this background information that we get, and now this is Moses' response. Okay, this is what's going to happen. Every firstborn male in Egypt, from your son to the son of the lowest slave, and even the livestock, the firstborn cattle, the firstborn sheep, they're going to die because of your sin. Let's just get this out of the way right now. God kills people. In the Old Testament, we see that there are people who God kills. In the New Testament, we see that there are people who God kills. Ananias and Sapphira, Herod, who is the great-grandson of the King Herod from when Jesus was a baby. But Herod, in the book of Acts, people proclaim him to be a god, and he accepts their worship, and God kills him. Has God killed people in our day? I don't see any reason why not, although I can't point to a specific case. God kills people, and he is just to do so. If God does something, it is just and right, because he is just. It is his very nature to be loving and just. There is no evil within him. He is perfect peace and justice. And so if he takes a life, he is within his rights to do so. I do not believe there will be anyone on the day of judgment who stands before God. And if God says, depart from me, I never knew you. There will be no one who says that's unfair. The great scandal is that God has made a way for people who have spat in his face, who have rejected him, to have their sins forgiven, to have their justice put on someone else when Jesus died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. Jesus was the firstborn on our behalf. But Pharaoh wouldn't listen. So Moses left, and it says he left hot with anger. I can understand that. You have tried and tried and tried, and he did just continued to not, not bow his head. Can a Christian be angry? Absolutely. The Bible says be angry, but do not sin. There is a just and righteous anger. I believe that the protests we are seeing in our nation are just and right. People should stand and say what has gone on cannot continue. 
but do not sin. I do not believe that looting, rioting is, is right at all. I do not believe that we fight injustice with more injustice. But I don't believe that we fight injustice through inaction either. You should be angry, but do not sin. Verse 9, the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. And Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but Yahweh had hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Now we have talked about this repeatedly, how Pharaoh initially hardened his own heart. And there came a point where God said, that is what you want. I'm going to give you what you want. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart because that was the course that Pharaoh had chosen. God is working in people. Maybe you have seen the wonders of God yourself firsthand. You have seen the effect of God's work in the life of your spouse, in the life of your children, in the life of your parents, in the life of somebody you know, a neighbor, a friend, who has had their heart changed. They're, they're not just like a little less angry, but they're a different person. And yet you will not bow your knee. Like I said, every time there was a plague, Pharaoh got a little closer. Only the men can go. Another plague. Well, the men and the women can go. Another plague. Well, the men and the women can go, but you can't go here. You have to stay over here. At what point do you stop? At what point do you say, this is it, I'm, I'm done fighting. I'm going to let God be God in my life. At what point? The last thing I, I want to say is this. In verse, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 7, but, not, uh, but among the Israelites not a dog will bark, at any person or animal, then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Anyone, anyone can become a Christian. There is an invitation, an open invitation to become a Christian. Anyone can. But if you will not bow your knee, then you sit on the side, metaphorically, of the Egyptian. Can it, in fact, I, I know Egyptian Christians, so I want to be very clear about the metaphorical. But God will divide. There comes a day when God will divide his people from the peoples of this world. There will come a day when Jesus says, these are mine. And he will say to the rest, depart from me, I never knew you. I believe that when the time comes for God's judgment to be poured out, that Jesus will remove his church, what the Bible describes as the rapture. When the, in First uh, Thessalonians, it says that those who are alive at that day will be caught up. The word in Latin for that is rapturo. We get our word rapture. I believe that God will remove his church and the judgment, the justice of God will begin to be poured out on a world of evil. 
I hope, my friend, that, that you are counted among God's people. The invitation is there. It's open for anyone. Because there will come a time when no more. Pharaoh had chance after chance after chance. And so do you and so do I. I want to say thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study Podcast. New episodes release every Thursday. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. we premiere new online Sunday gatherings at faithonhill.com. You can follow us on social media at faithonhill. I recognize that we are in a intense part of the Bible. If you have questions, if you have disagreements, if you're like, I read that, I heard you say that, and I really have a hard time with it, those are my favorite emails to get. I love those kind of conversations. You can email me at adam at faithonhill.com. We'll see you next week for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.